Hello everyone and welcome to Balls and Whistles, a sports podcast from Highland News and Media. I'm your sports editor, Will Clark, and back from solitary confinement is my regular panellist. He is the cob to my corn, he is the pineapple to my gammon, he is the tatties to my mints. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Andrew Henderson. You really went like all in for this this week, didn't you? I heard a band. <laughs> it's a good job on back though, because there's been so much happening. I don't know if you'd have been able to do a show this week on your own. Like, I'm glad you're back, so I don't have to do all that editing again. It's been a heck of a week for sport, hasn't it, Hino? Yeah, it's been pretty crazy. I was back at work for about 24 hours, and Ross County had beaten Celtic, and the Cali Thistle manager had gone on compassionate leave, so. Straight away, you know, there's no respite. It was just being thrown straight into the fire. Is Cali Thistle where we're starting this week, I'd imagine? I think so, since uh, we've just got uh, off the press conference with Neil McCann. Um, what do you think of the appointment, first of all? It took me by surprise. Um, I wasn't really aware that Neil McCann was still looking for managerial roles. After he left Dundee a couple of years ago, I thought he'd pretty much settled back into a pundit like Gary Neville and and wasn't really in the mix anymore. Um, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't really know too much about him as a manager and his style of play, so it's going to be an interesting one. He obviously has the the Robbo connection with Hearts. They played together at Tynecastle. He knows this week's opponents, tonight's opponents, very well because of that. Uh, it's an interesting couple of games from to start off with, with Hearts tonight and Dundee on Tuesday. <laughs> Um, you were actually on the press conference though. What, what was your impression of him? I, I should say first of all before we go any further um, can, can everyone um, at our newspaper like to offer their condolences to John Robertson and also to Scott Killock uh, we hope he gets well soon because we heard um, he's, he's not doing great with his illness so far he is improving um, the one thing about Neil McCann uh, I got from the press conferences he's a very competitive person um, one of the first questions that was asked was, you're playing Hearts uh, tonight as we are going out, and then you're playing Dundee on Tuesday, your former club. Uh, it didn't matter to him who they were playing. As a manager, he wants to win. Not saying he's got something to prove. He, he's come to Inverness more to help out his friend John. Um, one of the main reasons why he took up the job was he spoke to John first before saying yes. Um, John's given him like just an update on the, the team situation there, um, the pros and cons of each player. Um, so Neil feels like he can go in tonight's game full of confidence that they can take a victory. You know, football is in my blood, you know, and I, and I love I love the, the game. Um, and if I thought I could, I could help John out, you know, he's an old friend. I said yesterday within the, the first interview with the, with the club, that when you do things as, uh, as as great as we did with the, the 98 win, you know, it creates a, a real lasting bond. So, you know, John and I have been friends now for a number of years and I felt if I can step into the breach, help him out and at the coal face, then, uh, then I would do. And I'm hoping that I can come in and have an impact uh, with the team. Uh, can come in and just change it because essentially this is John's team. Um, obviously, I need to do my own things uh, with the side. Um and John's been great with that to actually give me the, the freedom that he said, look, 
uh, Terry, just go and do what you've got to do. But I'm hoping that I can then hand the team over to John when he's ready to come back, whenever that is, uh, and we're in a good place. Um, but yeah, there's probably extra pressure because it's not as if I'm coming in here and this is, I'm going for the job um, and I'm trying to do an addition here. It's not an addition. I don't see it as that at all. It's not, I don't want the job from John. I'm only uh, trying to help him out and, and try and do as well as I can with the group in order that he's ready to come back. So there's a pressure on that that I want to perform for him. But to be honest, you know me as a guy now, I'm, I'm pretty competitive. Um, I set high standards um, of myself and, and what I'm doing. And, and, and I want to do the best I can do for myself, for the club, and of course, John. It'll be tough against the league leaders, although they've not been in the greatest of form at the moment. They drew with Morton on Saturday. Uh, very lucky to get a point at Queen of the South. Uh, they've lost against Rafe Rovers recently as well. Yes, they're far in front, but they're not the juggernaut they were at the beginning of the season. Um, they could be there for the taking tonight. I think just on mechanic, it's quite a clever appointment just because of that relationship that he does have with John. I mean, uh, Scott Gardner, the chief executive, made it very clear at the start of the week that, you know, this isn't an audition for anyone to come in to to try and take over the job permanently. John Robertson is still Cali Thistle manager and he will be whenever he is ready to return. You know, hopefully that's not too long. And, and the same with Scott Calicker. He is the club's assistant manager he will remain the club's assistant manager whenever he's ready to return. So, you know, like when I was saying before, McCann hasn't really been linked with many managerial jobs. Maybe that was actually part of the reason he's come into Cali Thistle as well as um, having that relationship with, with Robbo. You know, that, uh, you see he's competitive, but that ambition, maybe he's not going to try and upset the apple cart. He's not going to try and, and take over from Robbo and change everything. Uh, in, in a complete 180. Tonight's match is going to be an interesting one. I mean, you're saying Hearts haven't been in the greatest of forms. Neither have Cali Thistle, and, and that probably makes it more interesting. They, they obviously got a good win against Ayr last week. You were at that game. It was a slightly more disappointing one for them on Tuesday. I was at the game against Dalawa, but, you know, the last couple of months looking at it, yes, there's been a lot of call-offs, but they've only won one game since the start of December. That's a long time to go without knowing what winning feels like, and it's it's going to be an interesting one tonight to see who can actually start to turn that around. Yeah, I, I was really impressed with how Cali Fissel played uh, on Saturday. It, it, it kind of felt they had turned the corner a wee bit. Uh, Air United, to be fair, they had a number of chances and a lot of credit has to be paid to Mark Ridgers, who made some fantastic saves throughout the game. But the one thing that really impressed me with Cali Fissel um, against Air United was Nikolai Todorov. He's classed as a striker, but, you know, he's made some fantastic assists during the game, especially for the first goal. I don't know if you saw it or if the listeners saw it at all. It was a fantastic counter-attack move, just sweeping up the field. Um, and Todorov, the one thing I noticed, he's not a bad winger either. You know, there was some great balls he put into the box, linked up really well with Shane Sutherland in particular. I don't know what happened on Tuesday night. Um, I was following your tweets didn't sound like they got off to the greatest of starts, but came back and just unfortunate towards the end. It, it was a really strange one because they started the better of the two teams. And when Aloha got the goal, it just knocked stuffing out of Inverness. And I haven't done too many Cali Thistle games considering what we normally would be at at this point of the season. But the same thing happened down at Aloha before Christmas. Cali Thistle looked comfortable and then 
Allah got a goal and the whole game changed. Luckily for Cali on Tuesday, it happened fairly early on. So they had time to regroup and they came back into it and they dominated possession. They dominated territory. Basically, the whole game was played in the Aloha half. But they were really struggling to find that breakthrough in front of goal. They got the goal through an unlikely source in Wallace Duffy. Uh, I hope everybody has seen that goal because what a finish. Yeah. <laughs> Where did that come from? I'm not even sure he knows. But then a minute later, they go and get a second goal. And a couple of minutes after that, they have a penalty. And you're thinking, it's game over. Surely it's three points in the bag. It was actually a decent penalty from Miles Story. Decent. It was a good save from the keeper. But then they just switch off after that. I don't know if they thought the points were won. You know, Alwa did well on the counter-attack to take their two chances and get the goals. And, you know, those chances, that penalty that Callie missed... They probably feel like they were good value for the three points, but I don't know if they can really complain the circumstances either. Just looking at it, the bare facts, they had two goals, a missed penalty, two goals disallowed, the first of which I think was harsh, the second did look offside. But, you know, Alloa were clinical in front of goal and, and they took the chances when they came and Inverness didn't. And that's, unfortunately, a common story for Cali Thistle. Especially against Alloa Athletic, especially against part-time teams. They didn't beat Aloha at all in the league last season. I think they played three times. We should be saying they did beat them in the cup competitions, but in the league, uh, they failed to beat Aloha. They lost 2-1 at Recreation Park in December. Yep, just before Christmas, yeah. But it just shows you how competitive this league is. Mm. I mean, Aloha, they're they're a part-time team, but they're not a bad team. They will have a go at you. Maybe the saving grace for Cali Fissle is at the weekend... Most of the bottom half of the table beat the top half of the table. It's anyone's league. And that's the saving grace for Inverness Cali Thistle. They've got three games in hand now in Queen of the South. And I think it's only three points they're off at the moment. So a couple of weeks ago, I was saying that Cali Thistle couldn't really afford to drop many points anymore. But maybe they can now. You know, <laughs> But they've got to take advantage of this situation. If Rafe Rovers are dropping points, if Dundee are dropping points, if they can actually play a game, because Dens Park seems to be waterlogged all the time at the moment, um, there is that opportunity. So they've got to take advantage of it. But Tuesday night, that was a game which they should have been looking at and saying three points. That's the thing. You say it's a saving grace that the bottom half of the table beat the top half of the table. It turned out to be a real missed opportunity for Inverness on Tuesday night. They still moved up two places in the league with a point but they could have taken over Dundee as well with a win. And just little things like that, little mentality shifts like that, going into a game like Hearts and going into a game like Dundee. You know, if Cali Thistle went into uh, Tuesday night ahead of Dundee, going away to Dens Park, that puts a whole different slant on it than if Dundee are trying to pull away. And you know what? I talked to James Keatings after the match. I'll play a little clip here of what he actually said about just Cali Thistle's slightly questionable, if you like, run of form that they are on. Obviously, we managed to get draw, draw even, and take the lead, and that's with a young changing room and the way the confidence is just now in the squad. We need to know just to shut up shop, put in their half, shut everything away, and get the three points. That's the most important thing. Obviously, we have a penalty ourselves that we don't we don't tuck away. We have to convert it. So that was the problem we didn't do. We didn't kill the game. Even at that, when it's at 2-1, we miss a penalty, we still should shop shop, we give away a cheap penalty. And then even later on as well, they break through our corner, better ball for their, one of their players and they're through again. So 
it's about learning and um, the last few weeks we're conceding far too many rubbish goals to be honest and um, we're shooting ourselves in the foot we've got a good squad, a good changing room. Boys are lacking a bit of confidence just now but the only way you're going to get that confidence is, is getting back out there, doing the right things and, um, and, and, and simplifying the game and, and going and making sure we, we, we take the three points that we should have done tonight. It's one of these ones where we're just going through a sticky patch. I've uh, got a lot of young boys, but they're good players. I'd say they're all mentally strong as well. Like this is where they want to be. They want to play first team football. They need to learn, um, and they're doing the best things. They're, they're performing well. That's the thing. It's just the wee bits in games that aren't going our way just now. But it's not not to say we, we go and feel sorry for ourselves. We we dust ourselves down. We we, we go again. At the beginning of that clip, you can really sense the frustration and fury in his voice after that result. You say fury, I think he was a little bit out of breath because he just run up half the steps of the stand to get to me. That might have been a little bit of that as well. Um, but there is definitely a frustration there that they aren't converting more of these draws into wins and they aren't managing to kill games the way that a team that wants to get promoted from the championship really needs to. I mean, I sensed it with Mark Ridgers last weekend as well. I mean, the word he used after the 2-0 win at Air United was relief because he felt that Cali Fussell weren't winning games that they should have. You know, is it going to be the same case again? Is draws going to ruin Cali Fussell's season? Is draws going to rule them out of the playoffs? That's the thing, isn't it? This is nothing new for Cali Fussell. We've been talking about this being an issue for them for literally years now. Um should they have overcome it by now? You know, is it just a case of the personnel whenever you're rebuilding a team and Robertson has had to rebuild the team this season, some of those issues might have to take a little bit of a back seat? There's not an easy answer to, to fix a mentality issue or an attitude issue. No, but with the way results are going in the championship at the moment, um, it's at least bought them time to try and fix it, which I didn't see happening a couple of weeks ago. I thought Hearts... Rafe Rovers, Dunfermline and Dundee would have pulled away. Thankfully, that's not been the case. And Cali Fissel, well, for, before speaking about Cali Fissel, how good are Queen and South at the moment? How did they get into fourth place in the playoff? I drove down to Dumfries, start of December. They were dreadful. What a turnaround at that club. But, you know, they're nothing special. Cali Fissel can easily overcome them and get into the playoffs. There's no reason... They can't do what Queen of the South can. So it's disappointing as Tuesday night was, and it's only two wins in the last, was it six, seven games? There's time to turn it around, thankfully. And I think they can, because like I said, teams are beating everyone now. It's not a case of the top four are running away with it. You know, Rafe Rovers are dropping points, Dunfermline are dropping points. Worryingly, our both are picking up a heck of a load of points. Who's yeah. all that coming? Um, so don't lose hope. That's the word I would say to Cali Fissel fans. It's a really interesting league. I mean, you mentioned Queen of the South there, and you know, this maybe isn't directly Cali Fissel related, so we don't have to go into too much detail about this. But I look at a lot of the teams and it's it's loan signings that are really making the difference. You know, Aloha's first goal on Tuesday night was scored by Innes Cameron, who's on loan from Killy. And actually also scored against Cali Thistle on loan at air in the first half of the season. Queen of the South, I think, brought in three, maybe four guys on loan from Rangers in January. That has clearly contributed to them rising up the table. It's maybe not the whole story, but it's clearly played a role. 
Um, you look at some other teams as well. You know, our both have had a couple of guys over the course of the season on loan from Aberdeen. Kai Kennedy at Cali Thistle, now at Wraith. You know, before he went to Wraith, Ethan Ross was on loan there from Aberdeen. All these guys have played really key roles. So you're saying Queen of the South are nothing special. I haven't seen them for the last few weeks. Maybe they're more like that now. Maybe there will be more of a challenge for Cali Thistle in the top half for the second half of the season. But it's all so ridiculously close. <laughs> I really don't want to stick my neck out and make a prediction where anybody is going to finish, aside maybe Hearts. But even then... Oh, the you, form, think, uh, you think Hearts have got to win the league, are you? I mean, they've got a decent lead at the minute, but you never know. I wouldn't say it's nailed on. I, I feel pretty comfortable saying it, but it's still no guarantee, even now. That's a bold prediction. Hearts are going. <laughs> well, I mean, we were talking about there a couple of bad results there, though. That keeps on going for the next few weeks. Somebody's going to close the gap. All right. To be fair, folk, yeah, Hearts haven't been in the greatest form at the moment. Is it the Robbie Nielsen effect? I don't know. Maybe that's a bit controversial to say. But you remember last season, um, before the lockdown, I think Dungeon United only won one out of seven games. Um, unfortunately, that was against Cali Fissle at Dice. But, you know, they are going through a slump. I, can, I don't think they'll be caught now. I think the lead's too great. And I think Dunfermline and Rafe Rovers are dropping too many points. So if you wanted to stick a tenner on hearts, I think you'd probably get make your 17 pence profit. <laughs> well, like we said before, that potentially bodes well for Inverness tonight, hosting them at the Cali Stadium. I think they're after the taking, you know, in current form. I hope so anyway. <laughs> you're going to be at that game, so you're definitely hoping so. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where, how Neil McCann sets up his team. Will it be a, a similar sort of four-two-three-one to what John Robertson plays, or will he be more attacking? I think he was. Would it be fair to say at Dundee he was a bit more defensive-minded? Possibly, but that also wasn't a great Dundee team. Uh, he was battling relegation from the Premiership at that point with Dundee, so maybe that was a needs-must situation. You know, it's. We're seeing it at times, even we're going to go and talk about Ross County in a minute, but we've talked a lot about whether they should be more attacking or more defensive. And sometimes it is just you have to do whatever needs to be done in that sort of situation. McCann doesn't have any pressure on him right now at Cali Thistle. If if he goes in and loses the next five games, then you know it wasn't his squad. Not that I think they will lose the next five games, but it wasn't his squad. It's horrendous circumstances, generally speaking, at, at the club right now, through no fault of his own, through no fault of anybody's. Um, and it's it's a bit of a, a free hit for him as a manager. Obviously, we're going to be hoping that he can string together a few wins and help Cali Thistle move up the table and get into the promotion hunt or stay in the promotion hunt and put them in a really good position for whenever Robertson does come back. Yeah, um, we wish uh, Neil all the best during his um, temporary time in charge and uh, hope John comes back uh, quite soon. So shall we move on then to Ross County? <laughs> Why not, eh? People might have said they didn't see Ross County beating Celtic coming. Two words, I did. <laughs> a few weeks ago in the podcast, I mentioned the form that Ross County were in this season. I could see them beating Celtic and losing against teams in the bottom six, so I'm taking full credit for that. Well, fair enough, okay. Well, call. I never paid any money on it because I'm not a gambling man, but I called it. Well, I'm not a gambling man either, and I made the mistake of leaving a couple of Ross County players on the bench in my fantasy team where I could have got a lot more points after they beat Celtic. So I was a little bit annoyed about that one. I'm absolutely delighted for Jordan White, by the way. Um, 
after such a tough time at Mullerwell where he just couldn't find the net and just wasn't getting the chances. First three games, two goals, and they both helped to victory. It's fantastic, yeah. And you know what? I know on the day at, at the ground, Charlie Lacken was named man of the match. I know since John Hughes has said Michael Gardine was his man of the match, Jordan White was my man of the match. I thought he was absolutely outstanding. It's the most I've seen him... Dominate is maybe slightly the wrong word because Celtic did have most of the ball, but it's the most effective I think I've seen him for 90 minutes ever. Even going back to his time at Cali Thistle, he would pop up with a goalie, do some good things, but he was just on it from the first minute against Celtic. And he won pretty much every single challenge in the air. He was putting himself about, chasing down the ball, bringing others into play. He was really outstanding and really well-deserved goal to win it for Ross County in the end and it's a huge three points for them. And it just brings something else to Ross County. I know since Ross Stewart left, um, Ollie Shaw, who I've been a big fan of and has done really well, and Billy Mackay, they're not the same sort of players as Jordan White. And the one thing John Hughes was saying was Ollie Shaw was maybe trying to play a similar sort of role to Jordan White, uh, whereas he's just not suited to that sort of play. Yeah. You know, He's not a guy like Jordan that's got to win balls in the air. He's more of a, a player that's going to work on the, as, as John put it, the, the, the face or the shoulder. Um, and by that, he means like using his pace to try and get past people. Um, but physically, he's never going to beat people on the air. But that is the same with Jordan White. Uh, John, you said, he's not the, the paciest of guys. He's not got to run away from um, defenders. But what he will do is, if there's something in the air, he'll be the first to it, you know. I'll say it as a, he can leap like a salmon out of a river of defenders to nod the ball into the net. There you go. That's your bit of Shakespeare for today. <laughs> well, I can, you're, you're saying John Hughes is obviously talking about him there. Again, I can play a little bit here of what John Hughes had to say about Jordan White. We knew what we're getting. I've, I've had my eye on Jordan for oh, two or three years, but you're at the game, you're still taking in games, and if anything catches your eye, you know, one day you'll probably go back in, so you're taking notes, and Jordan was always there. Then you start asking questions, you know, I was a manager at Inverness, and I know Jordan played there, so you're asking all the questions. So when I signed him, I know what I was getting. He's never going to run away for you. Jordan, electric pace, but what we needed, that focal point up front. You know, he's winning his headers, he'll bring other players in, his hold-up plays good, he'll bring other players into the game. And if you're getting crosses in and putting it in the box, there's every chance Jordan will be getting ahead on them. No score all the time, but, you know, he'll be getting ahead on them or making it difficult for defenders. And then the impact he's had, Jordan's another one that usually when you bring a player that's no playing, as he wasn't playing against Murrowell, you have to get him up to speed and get the, the volume in his legs. Um, Jordan come really fit and really, really in good shape and, really lean his body fat and all that stuff was spot on so that's why he's hit the, uh, the ground running and if he's mentally he's got a, a point to prove then I'll just keep pressing the buttons and make sure he keeps at it for now and end of the season I love how John Hughes says I'll keep pressing his buttons yeah it's great isn't it is it wrong for me to say that I'm surprised at how well Jordan White has actually done at Ross County? We obviously knew what he would bring from seeing him at Cali Thistle week in, week out, but he really has been a transformative signing. And the only thing really I could put that down to past 
just being something different is that motivation. He really seems desperate to make his mark in the Premiership for the first time, really. Well, when he first uh, joined Ross County, uh, I spoke to him in the press conference. He admitted he had a point to prove. We knew how good Jordan White was at championship level, uh, being top scorer at Cali Fissel for two seasons. And then when he went to Mullerwell, it would probably be easy to have a negative impact on his ability, um, you know, n- not scoring goals, I think it was at 19, 20 games, mm-hmm. and then not being picked. Um, it, it could have had an impact on him. But he's obviously come up here and not maybe pointing fingers at Motherwell saying you were wrong not to give me a chance, but just as a player, he wants to show what he can do. Fair play to John Hughes. Played him as a lone striker uh, up against Celtic and he delivered the goods. That's what Yogi does. He can identify player strengths. He's not expecting him to beat defenders uh, in a running race but he is expecting him to beat defenders in the air. And that's what he's done so far. Whether it'll be a, a lone strike a role against St Mirren on Saturday, that's a different question. Would it harm them if they played a lone strike a role on Saturday? Maybe another 4-4-1-1? Because Tony Andrew, he played all right behind him as well, didn't he? He did, and Andrew had a really good game, actually. But it was a very different role. Sometimes when you hear a 4-4-1-1, you're thinking there's a second striker in there, a number 10. Andrew in there was a defensive player, even as a number 10. His job was to man-mark Scott Brown, which he did really effectively. And Brown got the ball in space at times, but he was deep in his own half whenever that happened. And a part of the pitch, he couldn't really hurt County much. Um, you know, we've also talked a lot there about White and Andrew. There's a lot of other people as well. I just want to bring up who were really impressive against Celtic. Ross Laidlaw's taken a lot of flack this season. Sometimes you could say rightfully so, but he made a couple of fairly comfortable saves and then one right at the end, which was top drawer to save the win for Ross County after not really having those sorts of magnitude stops to make. So it just makes it all the more impressive. Alex Yakoviti was brilliant, I thought. He was a leader at the back, um, which is something County really haven't had nearly enough this season. It's part of the reason they've conceded the goals they have. He was shouting at everybody the whole game, trying to keep everyone organised and again, won most of his aerial battles and managed to keep the likes of Ryan Christie quiet, which isn't always an easy task, even though Christie's maybe not in the best form. Mentioned Charlie Lackin and Michael Gardine earlier on. Their Spittle had a decent game as well. There's definitely an argument to be made that they should just keep it as it is for going to St Mirren. After you get a result like beating Celtic, why would you change that? But it's a very different kind of game. St Mirren are in decent form, but they don't play the same sort of style as Celtic. They're not going to get in the ball and dominate the ball for 90 minutes in the same way. They obviously have a threat, otherwise they wouldn't be where they are on the table. But I don't know, maybe it's the time of the season, it's a little bit horses for courses and you just have to do what you have to do to beat the team in front of you and not set too much store in a particular system or even particular players necessarily. I'm thinking back to the games which they lost, in particular the game against Motherwell, in Dingwall and the game against Dungeon United at Dingwall when they were maybe a bit more open would that that probably be fair to say like you said John Hughes is a guy that's needs must and maybe he's identifying that maybe Ross County aren't ready to take the game um, to teams at the moment because if if they go a goal behind chances are they're not going to come back what we've seen this season if I was Hughes and the 4-4-1-1 was working and getting results 
I wouldn't change it against St Mirren either. St Mirren are not a bad team. They're a team that's chasing top six at the moment. I wouldn't change the team at Paisley and Sartre. I think go for the 1-0. Make sure you're in the top flight next season. And then give Yogi a proper transfer window and make his own influence on the team. Celtic aren't the greatest at the moment, but there's not many teams that can beat Celtic. So we've got, in Ross County, I've done it twice. So if you can do that against Celtic, stick with a 1-0. I think you've hit the nail on the head there, though. They need to score the first goal. We've seen that time and time again against a whole load of different teams. And when it was 0-0 against Celtic, I got the feeling, I think I even wrote this at halftime, that they were there for the taking and that County could get a result. But if County conceded first, you would have feared for them. Uh, but since they got that goal, they were able to hold on to it. If they go behind against St Mirren, you know, that's going to be a really interesting one to see how they react to that because 1-0 down, they should still feel like they're in the game. St Mirren have been playing well. They are on the hunt for the top six. Jim Goodwin is, you know, he's a good manager. We've seen it happen with him for Alloa and now again at St Mirren. And he improves teams and he has them really well organised. But that doesn't mean County can't get at them. I just wonder if they're going to have the confidence to do that if they go a goal behind in Paisley. Not just go, go a goal behind, but if they concede the lead. We saw that against Mullerwell a few weeks ago. Um, you know, Aberdeen was probably a one-off where they absolutely went mental in a 4-1 win. But I think it's just the mentality. If you concede a goal, don't panic. Just, get, you know, heads down, get on with it and try and win the game. What I'm delighted to see is I tipped Ross County to finish 11th and if they did that I think they'd be really delighted with themselves but how many teams are in the relegation battle now I would class four yeah I've seen Mullerwell are dreadful Uh, they lost 4-1 against Hamilton Arcase they lost 3-0 against St Johnson I saw the highlights of both games and the score lines were kind on uh, Mullerwell I know they got a draw on Wednesday night against St Mirren but I saw the highlights and they weren't that great either so, whereas I thought it would be a battle between uh, Ross County and Hamilton to finish above bottom, I could see Mullerwell finishing bottom now in their ninth. I could see Kilmarnock finishing bottom in their 11th. Uh, Michael Gardine was saying if, if Ross County and Hamilton keep picking up wins, there might be teams above ninth that might be looking over their shoulder. Um, St Johnston's in eighth place at the moment. I think that might be a bit far-fetched. I think St Johnston and Dungeon United will be okay. But certainly Mullerwell from ninth uh, to 12th, it could be a four-horse race to who goes down. That's the beauty of the split, isn't it? With all the bottom half teams playing each other, it can change really quickly and a six-point gap could be made up inside a few days with the right couple of results. It's, it's interesting you're pointing out Motherwell specifically, considering they beat Ross County a few weeks ago. They haven't been great at all this season, but they got a result there against County when it mattered. So it's anybody's game. <laughs> you know, it really is. Just against Hamilton and uh, St. Johnston, I thought Mullerwell looked really soft, uh, especially in the, in the midfield area. Um, Graham Alexander, he's got a big job to do without a transfer window to sort it out. Um, so I know I've said, Staggies, if you, if you get a relocation playoff zone, you'll be doing well. But I'm a bit more optimistic for Ross County now. Um, if, if Mullerwell keep playing the way they do, uh, Kilmarnock not doing great, although they only lost 1-0 to Aberdeen. And Tommy Wright's uh, manager really highly. I think he could sort things out, but, you know, have hope, Staggies, have hope. 
it's one of those things I don't think we've really talked about that much today. Ross County are outside not just the automatic relegation zone, but the relegation playoff zone. We're talking about their mentality if they go 1-0 down. Maybe this will free them up a little bit and give them a bit more confidence to actually go for it now that they're 10th and not 11th or 12th. Or maybe they'll be hard gone, as we say in the Northeast, and think, you know, 4-4, 1-1, you know, let's just play like we did against Celtic. Let's just play a lone striker and try and get a goal from a set piece. Um, against Hamilton, uh, you were down there as well. White and Mackay, they worked out well in the end. If I was John Hughes, I'd be really encouraged with how Ross County managed to beat Celtic. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Which is, again, a harsh and Ollie Shaw, who I think has been done really well, especially in the last couple of weeks, but it worked against Celtic. Why not try it against St. Mirren? It's one of those things I've asked players the last few weeks when I've been at matches, and everybody seems to think County are getting closer now to, to finding that right formula and getting that consistency and actually you know, being effective week in, week out, and half in and half out, and... You know, just having, instead of little patches where they look really good, just being a, a really solid team. And as you say, if, if it's not broken, don't try and fix it. You know, that's that's where they are right now. And we'll see how that pans out for them over the next few weeks. It was great to see Michael Gardine's performance. And I think he was worth one man of the match as well. He was fantastic uh, on Sunday night. Yeah, you had a wee spell out of the team for a few weeks there. I'm not entirely sure why. If there was something off the pitch at the start of the year, I wonder what that could be that was distracting him a little bit or um, if he just wasn't fancied or maybe it's his age and they just don't want to expose him to playing twice a week, every week, like County were at one stage. Um, but he's certainly not many people with more desire to make something happen at Ross County than Michael Garding. And Blair Spittle, I'm going to give him a mention. I was really surprised that he was loaned out of Park Vissel because... Every time I saw him at Ross County, I thought he did a, a great job in midfield. Um, so it's great to see him back. Yeah, he's versatile. He could play middle of the park, out wide. He's a set-piece specialist as well. There's definitely a role for him right now, especially if County are going to be relying on set-pieces. It's a bit of a strange one just because he hadn't played for about a year and now he's come in and, and played a key role in a couple of games. But it's a chance for him to make an impact. Fresh start under a new manager for him in Dingwall. So... He's another one of those that's trying to take it with both hands. Brighter prospect of Premiership football staying in the Highlands next season anyway. <laughs> much, the fans. much more cheery, Will. Much more cheery. Excellent. <laughs> well, there's a lot of football, as you've already gathered on this episode, but just to, to finish us off on the football front, Will, maybe not the most optimistic and cheery like we were just saying, but you were chatting to Nairn County Chairman Don Matheson this week who wasn't particularly positive about the suggestion that summer football might be the answer to the Highland League's scheduling issues. Yeah, I've got, uh, well, it was just something that was put to him. Um, There's no suggestion that the the entire Highland League season might move to the summer. I know it's something that's been banded by other Highland League managers. Uh, Graeme Stewart at Bucky Fissle is a big advocate of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Donald Matheson at Nairn County, less so. He thinks it could be quite costly um, regarding the the damage to pitches um, playing during the summer, um, simply because the recovery time would then take place during the winter. Grass doesn't grow during the winter, or very, very small margins it grows by. Um, and if, if it was to become a summer season and the season returns in March, thinking that the Highland League would be a summer league, 
what would the state of the pitches be? You know, would they be playable? You know, there's some Highland League grounds where pitches aren't playable during uh, the summer. Never mind the winter. Uh, no offence, Fort William. Um, and he's also wouldn't be a fan of AstroTurf. He thinks that they're more prone to injuries that way. And of course, the two hundred fifty thousand pounds price tag it would take to install a, um, a pitch. So, if the season is going to be saved, it will be extended until May. But it doesn't look like there's much support for shifting the entire season to the summer. I'll be honest. I'm an advocate of summer football. I would like to see the whole Scottish game move to the summer, but it would take the Premiership all the way down to the Highland League, North Caledonian League, Lowland League, for it to work for me. You know, can it just be one division that plays in the summer? Because uh, that would just muck up the whole pyramid system. Yeah, it would need to be um, all or nothing. The other thing about the Highland League, there's a review set to be held on Monday by the SFA. If lower league football is going to go ahead... Um, I mean, here in the Highland League has been approached if it would be willing to test players before games. Uh, I've not heard a response to that as of yet, but we're going back again to what Nairn County have said. They, they've said, you know, they'd be willing to do it for the Scottish Cup as a one-off or if they progress to the next round. Um, but as for the Highland League, we've got 13, 14 games left at £1,200 Hop, I think it was. You know, and that's not just for games; that's for training sessions as well. They're looking at twenty grand bills. I can imagine what the reaction is to that. Hmm. We've not heard an official response to it yet, but if Highland League clubs are asked to test their players, it's financially inviolable, as we've reported previously. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, just to wrap up the football portion of this podcast, then. Uh, just a shout out to our colleagues along the road at the Northern Scot. Ahead of that review on Monday, they've been talking to Elgin City chairman Graham Tatters, who has been talking about his fear that even the League Two and League One seasons are going to be rendered null and void as well. Go and read it. It's, it's a really interesting article on the back page of the Northern Scot today. It's just one of those things we're going to have to wait and see what happens on Monday. Yeah, Monday's got to be fascinating anyway. I'm looking forward to that review. If a decision is not made beforehand. A decision could be made as this podcast's going out. So, but we'll move on from football now. Some people, I'm sure, will be glad to hear. We've talked about it being a really turbulent week. Maybe is the word at Cali Thistle, but it's also been a very up and down week for one Jamie Doby. We've talked about him on the podcast before. A really highly regarded uh, teenager in rugby union. The week started off with him being included in the Scotland Six Nations squad for the first time, only to find out yesterday, as this podcast goes out, the match against France this Sunday isn't happening. And according to the French press, it might not happen until July. Um, it's just a bit of a shambles, to be honest. Um, I, I, I totally respect the decision. Um, if you have COVID, you can't play. But France have got a home game. They've got players in other parts of the country. They could bring in a different squad. Much like what the Nations League um, qualifier between the Czech Republic and Scotland, remember? Mm-hmm. Their team that was... Um, said we were done civil- with football, Will. Yeah. No, I'm just using it as an example <laughs> anyway. I, I think the game could go ahead this weekend. It's just... I, I don't think it's been done right. Um, I really feel for Jamie Doby, to be honest. Uh, I really feel for rugby in Inverness. I think it was something that they were really looking forward to. Uh, when we announced the story on our website that he'd been picked for the Scotland squad, our stats went stratospheric. A lot of pride in what he's done. 
it's it's just so disappointing because he's done really well at Glasgow Warriors. To be fair, he might have been a replacement. Uh, he might might not have got on the field at all because he plays in the same position as Ali Price. But still, it was a huge honour to be chosen for the Scotland squad, and he might have came on. I just I'm just really gutted for him to be honest. Yeah, I mean, you talk about his form for the Warriors. I know he was one of the the Warriors standouts, albeit in a losing effort against Ulster uh, last Friday. And that was part of what encouraged Gregor Townsend to include him in the senior squad. We've talked before about him being with the squads as a training player and not, you know, an official part of it, really. But to be even named in the squad, even if, as you say, he was only going to be a replacement or even if he wasn't even going to be in the bench at 19 years old. That's some achievement, regardless. I mean, this is this guy could be the future for Scottish rugby. Yeah, well, certainly a, a development player that Gregor Townsend has in mind. Um, would you count 19, year, 19 years old as a teenager? I know I do. but Yeah, oh, he's still wrong. a teenager. Yeah, he's got like, teenager. Actually, I'm, I'm he's much. still a teenager. <laughs> That's how ages work, Will. <laughs> okay. I don't know, 18, you can buy booze, you can vote and all that. I never mind. Um yeah, yeah. I mean, he's following in the footsteps of Ali Price as well, so he's, he's got a great mentor to follow. I mean, I, he'll be disappointed. I, I'm disappointed as well. It was a great story, and I think we're looking forward to seeing him in action against a French team when at full strength is currently one of the best teams in the world right now. But uh, England are supposed to be better and Scotland beat them. So it would have been fascinating to see how Scotland would have got on um, as long as they had 15 men. <laughs> Santa Ferguson. Um, hopefully, it's not uh, Jamie Doby's only chance. It won't be his only chance. Uh, they've got two more games against Ireland and Italy, um, and they've still got a Six Nations title to chase. It, it's Scotland's best chance in twenty-two years. If I done my maths right, of being European champions, as we were saying before we started, five Nations champions in nineteen ninety-nine, and they've not been close since. Uh, I, they lost against Wales, but Wales haven't been fantastic. They've been very fortunate. Um, against Ireland, uh, they played against 14 men and scraped a win. Uh, they scraped a win against Scotland, although they did well in the second half. Um, so it would be fantastic for Jamie to be part of that. Um, and like you say, great for rugby in the Highlands as well, if, if one of their own could be part of a Six Nations winning squad. For, for a player from Highland... Uh, well, he was involved in the Highland Youth setup. There's going to be a lot of like pride at Canal Park just now, and uh, with their youth setup, he might not be the last. We know how impressive it's been. Well, we know he's joined other guys at the Warriors, like Paddy Kelly, who's now a very prominent part of the Scotland Seven setup, and Bruce Flockhart, who's also involved at Scotston. So there's already a little bit of a Highland contingent growing there, and like you say, fingers crossed, he's not the last one, but. I think we basically just started it out, right? Jamie Doby is going to start as Scotland win the Six Nations this year, right? We've basically just agreed that. Yeah, I hope so anyway. If, you, know, <laughs> you know, there's a vaccine coming in and Scotland win the Six Nations. What a 2021 that'll be. <laughs> well, you said that there will be a lot of pride in Inverness for the progress of Jamie Doby, but there's probably also quite a lot of pride at Inverness Squash Club. They're going to be hosting the Scottish Squash Open later this year. I believe the date has just been moved, but there's still been a good bit of chat about what impact that'll have as the sport starts to recover from the pandemic, hasn't it, Will? That's right. Uh, they've shifted it uh, one month from August until September. Um, not 
entirely due to the pandemic. Um, the European team championships had been switched, so it was to help accommodate uh, players who were taking part in that event so that they could come to Inverness. But uh, yeah, what, what an opportunity to promote uh, squash in, in, in the Highlands. Um, to be fair, you know, the Highlands have made a massive contribution to Scottish, Scottish squash already. We look at Alan Klein, we look at uh, Greg Lobin. I think they're both in the top 30 at the moment. Sorry, I'm going to say top 30 in the world. Just to say top 30 just gives a complete understatement to what they've achieved. I do apologise. Um, and then you've got players like Alistair Prott, who, who has fallen in their footsteps as well. Uh, not only that, you've got Jamie Henderson from Ferso, who's making a, a good impact at uh, national and international level as well. The Highlands has a really strong um, squash contingent at the moment. So it's great to see that the organisers of the Scottish Open are playing on that and they're bringing the tournament north. Um, it's great, great to see that uh, while understandable all our events have been cancelled, they've only postponed theirs and uh, are, are thinking later towards the year when it's more acceptable for hopefully crowds to come in and actually experience it for themselves. I feel like I can only echo what you've said there. You say, you know, Klein and Lobbins world rankings, they're number one and two in the Scottish men's game as well. When it comes to men's Scotland's, the Highlands is really the hub for squash, mm -hmm. which is just great. It's just fantastic that we've got that sort of recognition on a national level and, It'll be a great moment for all of those guys that you mentioned to to play such a big tournament in Inverness and just have that sort of hometown feel to it. And not just Scottish players, it's an open, it's open to some, well, any player that wants to enter, I suppose. Um, in uh, 2019, I think it was um, a Spanish man and an English woman, forgive me for calling them a Spanish man and an English woman, I can't remember their names at the moment. Um, who are among the top-seeded players in the world that took the titles. Um, so to have like a world-class field taking part uh, in a, an event in Inverness, it's going to be huge for the city. And hopefully people will be able to go and watch it and enjoy it themselves. I know we're looking forward to it. Yeah, and there you go. We've talked a lot over the last few weeks about things getting postponed or cancelled. This is something that we can properly look forward to later in the year. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I think I'll be a right racket. And on that note... Um, I've ruined it. Sorry, folks. I just feel like we're running really long on this podcast just because of the magnitude of the football stories we had to talk about. But we'll a give, heck of a week. We'll give a, a quick mention as well to Athletics Inverness, who are a new senior group started up for, obviously, people who do athletics in Inverness. And they held, I believe, their first virtual events ever. Uh, over the last week, while where Stephen Mackay and Jenny Bannerman were the big winners. That's right. They both won their respective 10K events, and they also held a 3K event as well. Um, so it's great to see that uh, a group that, you know, it's trying to keep athletics going during what has been the darkest of times. So fair play to all the organisers who have done that, and uh, look forward to reporting more on them. Absolutely. I do want to give a quick shout out to the John O'Groat Journal as well. I mentioned the Northern Scott earlier. We'll go up north, our colleagues up there. Alan Hendry, you know, as always, produces some great content. This time around, he's been talking to Thurso Bowling Club about their hopes to return to action this spring after they basically missed the entirety of 2020 because of the pandemic. So it'll be great for them to get back and yet again, 
another sport that has a, a really passionate membership in, in around the Highlands. Yeah, um, we've heard, well, there's been reports from across um, the Highlands this week from bowling clubs in, in Caithness, well, as well as Caithness in Russia and uh, Nairn as well, that um, some competitions that usually take place aren't going to happen this season. So hopefully the bowlers will get back to the greens sometime in 2021. But I think we're over one and a half million people injected in Scotland. So we're getting there, folks. It won't be long. I'm still waiting for my jug, but uh, have you got your jug yet? No, I'm not going to get mine until after you, presumably. I don't know how they're going to work it, but I'm, I'm anticipating I'm going to be one of the last to get <laughs> the way things are going. <laughs> we heard it by then, Hendo. You'll be safe enough. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Uh, on that note, there's probably a lot of stuff this week that we haven't covered or we haven't talked about in all that much detail just because of what was going on with Ross County, with Callie Thistle and with Jamie Dobie. So I'll just give literally just a passing mention to uh, an article in this week's Inverness Courier with Jade Conkle talking about inclusion and diversity in sport. Will, anything you want to shout out before we go? Well, like you said, there's been so much happening this week uh, um, sports-wise and we've just not been able to fit it all in. But uh, you want to know how you can read more sports stories this week? How would you do that, Will? Go and buy a newspaper. Go <laughs> <laughs> the Inverness Courier, Highland News, North Star, Russia Journal, Northern Times, John O'Groat Journal, Caithness Courier, Forest Gazette, Northern Scott, Bampshire Advertiser, Bampshire Herald, Bampshire Journal, Tariff Advertiser, Inverurie Advertiser, Ellen Advertiser. Just some great sports stories. Go and buy a newspaper. And we appreciate your support. I'm not going to list off all the titles like Will just did. So what he said. In the meantime, as Will said, their bio paper. If you want to get in touch with us before the next episode of Balls and Whistles, if you have any questions that you want us to answer or any topics that you particularly want us to discuss, you can find us on Twitter at balls underscore whistles, or you can email us at balls and whistles, that's the number and not an ampersand, at hnmedia.co.uk. Until then, thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks guys. Have a great weekend.